This is a Triple J podcast. Hack. Hey, it's Dave Marchese. Welcome to the Hack Podcast. Why are tobacco shops getting torched across Melbourne? Have you seen these headlines? Some have been targeted more than once. What's it got to do with gangs? What's Chop Chop? If you're not living in Melbourne, maybe you don't know. We're going to be getting into these firebombings later and figuring out what is the context here. If you've been wondering what these headlines are about, we'll bring you up to speed. Also, we're checking in with the Bruce Lehrman defamation court case because Brittany Higgins' cross-examination has continued today. First, though, the mass burnout that we're being warned is putting lives at risk. Hack. How long can we keep on doing this? On Triple J. Yeah, burnout. It's a term that we've got to know a lot over the past few years. And if you've experienced it, you know that the feeling's awful. You feel like you're stretched so far and you've got nothing else to give. So imagine going through that while doing shift work, the pressures of that, waking up in the middle of the night, having to sleep through the day or try to, and your job is to save people's lives. That's the situation for thousands of frontline healthcare workers across the country. The thing is, it's been a problem for years. Like, remember during the height of COVID, it's all we were talking about. And now, nearly 2,000 paramedics in New South Wales are so fed up with their paying conditions, they're going to let their registration expire. Now, what that means is they won't be able to respond to triple zero calls. And the New South Wales government's freaking out about this. If this is you, and I'm not just talking about paramedics, I want to hear from nurses, midwives, all of you, how bad is it? Like, is this enough to force you to quit the conditions, the stress that you're under right now? Call in 1300 0555 You can message in to 0439 Already seeing some messages pour through now. First, hack reporter Ellie Grounds has been checking in with some healthcare workers to see how they're feeling. Feeling very excited, but also there's definitely some apprehension there for sure. This is Misha. She's just finished her paramedicine degree and is looking to start a job with New South Wales Ambulance early next year. She's super psyched to get out into the workforce, but some of the stories she's heard from mates who are already paramedics have her kind of worried. When they tell me how much they're getting a year, like base rate, they're like, you know, but you'll have to be doing overtime. Um, essentially, if you want to be getting any kind of wage which matches the other states. The Health Services Union says New South Wales paramedics are the country's worst paid, and that's weighing on Misha. There's a lot of paramedics have asked me, you know, why aren't you going to Queensland or why aren't you going to Western Australia, which is where I'm originally from. Right now, paramedics in New South Wales are asking for a 20% increase, which may sound like a lot of money. But actually, that would only bring them into line with what paramedics get paid in Queensland. So far, the New South Wales government isn't budging. It reckons it doesn't have the money to boost salaries that much. So, in response, nearly 2,000 paramedics in the state are refusing to renew their registration. And that means when the clock strikes midnight on New Year's Eve, they won't be able to attend triple zero calls. If you don't want to pay me as a paramedic, I'll be an ambulance driver. The union says it's meeting with members of the government nearly every day to try get this pay dispute sorted. The state's health minister, Ryan Park, isn't happy about the boycott. Whilst I'll continue to negotiate and work through these issues, both with the health services union and within government, I've also got to make it clear to people that I'm very concerned about the impact that this action could have from 1 January onwards. And it's not just paramedics who are feeling overworked and underpaid. 
It's been reported 33,500 New South Wales health employees say they've been burnt out over the last two years. And nearly 2,000 have filed compensation claims for psychological injuries like PTSD, depression or anxiety over the same time period. I think that those numbers are really sad and um, so many of our frontline workers are suffering, but no, it really doesn't surprise me at all. This is Mel. That's not her real name. We've changed it to protect her privacy. Mel's dream has always been to be a midwife. But after a few years in the job, she's questioning if it's sustainable. There are a lot of rules and policies and there's a lot of obstetric violence and abuse that happens. Midwives don't run the system. The hours that we are expected to work, the trauma that we experience, it's not what I imagined it to be. Mel trained in the Hunter New England region in New South Wales which of all the state's local health districts had the highest number of claims for psychological injuries. She's not surprised. In fact, I actually don't think that those numbers would really represent the numbers of true workplace psychological trauma. I think, you know, the majority of my colleagues have told me about traumatic workplace experiences that still affect them. I myself have experienced and still experience a lot of workplace trauma and burnout, and sometimes I even experience bullying as well. This kind of stuff is not isolated to New South Wales. Sarah works in the ACT as an emergency nurse and says the stats don't surprise her either. I, I guess someone who doesn't work in the industry might read that and be like, that's staggering and, and that's horrible and stuff. But it's also, unfortunately, incredibly relatable. You're dealing with human lives and there's a lot that comes with that. There's a lot of things we see that most people go their whole lives without seeing. And she's certainly not surprised that paramedics in New South Wales feel like they have to take really drastic action to get better pay. A couple of years ago when I was feeling pretty burnt out from nursing, I actually did apply for New South Wales Ambulance um, and I got in and ultimately one of the deciding factors of me not going into it was to do with the pay in New South Wales and it not really being worth the move. Misha, who you heard from earlier, has decided working for New South Wales Ambulance is worth it but hopes things might get better before she starts. I've worked really hard and a lot of my fellow students have worked so hard to get where we are. Just hoping that the government actually is, you know, paying some attention to these paramedics who are currently putting their foot down um, as far as pay um, and work conditions. I'm going to be standing beside them. Hack on Triple J. Ellie Grounds with that update. And I should say we did ask for a response from New South Wales Health. We asked some questions about what they're doing to address this burnout, what the plan is. They said they get back to us. They didn't before Hack's deadline, so we don't have a statement for them at this stage. We're getting so many messages, though, on the text line. Someone says, if I could jump ship to Queensland, I would. Absolutely disgusting negotiations from New South Wales Health. That's someone's opinion there. Another person says, I wanted to get into nursing, but every single person I knew that had been a nurse told me to run in the other direction. Someone else, Tasmanian nursing levels were this dire pre-COVID. Now the rest of Australia is catching up with the same stressed, overworked and burnt out nursing levels. We cannot continue. Also on Instagram, we chucked up a story earlier today, flooded with messages, experiences. Izzy says, I'm a student paramedic looking for jobs and it's so hard. The states that need you treat you badly and the states that treat you well don't need paramedics. And Mia just kept it pretty simple, says it's shithouse. I wish I never did my nursing degree. So what does the research tell us about all this? I want to dig into that a little bit more. And someone who's been looking into that is Associate Professor Anya Johnson. 
She's from the University of Sydney. She's been researching the New South Wales healthcare industry, performance at work. She's with us now. G'day, Professor Johnson. Thanks for coming on. It's a pleasure, Dave. What exactly has your research found? We've been looking into a a whole range of factors that contribute to poor mental health and well-being at work, particularly for healthcare professionals. We've been tracking how the types of workers' compensation claims, for example, have been changing over time. And what we've been noticing is that there's a lot more psychosocial risk claims. So what we mean by that is really just claims about mental health issues have been increasing, particularly for healthcare care workers. So that's a real concern and something that we are exploring a bit more. The other interesting thing we're finding, and this is more from our own surveys and with healthcare workers, perhaps in in community care as well, is that actually poor mental health is starting to show up for young people uh, and particularly young health professionals. So people going into the workforce in the first five years are actually really struggling. So I think we need to be really thinking about the context in which they're working and, and the way we're supporting them. And I mean, your research is looking a lot into New South Wales, but this must be uh, an issue right across the country as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, healthcare is predominantly a state issue. So each state has its own governance and regulations and particular approaches. But we are finding that the patterns are similar, regardless of which state we're looking at. So it's certainly not unique to New South Wales. We're finding it across Australia. And is there a lot of research into this? And do you think there's a lot of appetite as well for governments to be taking this on board, considering it as well? I think there absolutely is an interest by government and partly because, you know, when healthcare workers are leaving the profession, when it's hard to get healthcare workers to join the profession uh, and when you're getting these workers' compensation claims, that all comes at a huge cost. And it's not just the bottom line for taxpayers, it's also actually a cost to patients because when healthcare workers are not feeling well uh, or if they're not as engaged or as productive or as sort of enthusiastic at work, then that actually has an impact on patient care. So it, it matters for us as a community. Well, it's interesting to hear that the uh, the research backs up the anecdotal evidence and the stories that we're hearing from our audience as well today. We appreciate your take on this. Associate Professor Anya Johnson from the University of Sydney, thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure, Dave. And still heaps of messages coming through right now and calls as well. I'm sorry we can't get to them all. There's just so many stories that people want to share. As I said earlier, this isn't a new issue, right? And I wanted to check in with someone that we spoke with almost two years ago on Hack. It was like my first week at Hack and we did this story about healthcare workers being burnt out. And we spoke to Patrick and at the time he described the summer of 2021 and the stress on paramedics like this. Uh, I'm going to say shit. And I think you'd get that same word from most people you asked about how the summer was. Uh, there's no other way to, to describe it. It's like a shit storm. So let's see what's happened to Patrick two years after those warnings. He's with us now. G'day, Patrick. Thank you very much for taking the time to come on again. Oh, thanks for having me back. I can't believe it's been two years. Yeah, it's been a long time, but it sounds like the issues that we were speaking about back then are pretty much the same and not much has changed. If anything, a lot of people are saying it's got a lot worse. I'm really keen to find out, where are you now? Are you still a paramedic? I definitely agree that things haven't improved and and I'd agree with, with the statement that they've become worse. 
myself, for example. So no, I'm not. I'm, not, I'm no longer a paramedic. Although I am, I'm just not working for New South Wales Ambulance anymore. So I've I've quit my job about halfway through this year. And so where are you now? Uh, I'm actually in the Solomon Islands now. So <laughs> um, I decided to to quit my job to take up a volunteer role here as a paramedic mentor. So I'm still working in my field, which I'm, I'm lucky enough to do, but. The career that trained me and the career that I, I opted for was a paramedic for New South Wales Ambulance because it's kind of like the gold standard in paramedicine. Unfortunately, just got to the point where I found it wasn't good for me anymore. That's what brought me over to the Pacific. I mean, it's good to hear that you're doing so well and, and you're enjoying the Pacific and you're still in your field. But the fact that you and so many others young paramedics have left the system because they just can't deal with the pressure anymore. It's really upsetting. And we're hearing that from our audience right now on the text line, people are calling in too. I mean, can you explain what kind of impact your work was having on your life? Yeah, yeah, it it is really sad because, I mean, being a paramedic, getting to that job and working for New South Wales Ambulance was probably the, the biggest milestone of my life and my biggest achievement. Everyone knows that paramedic, you know, work is not easy. You're doing night shifts, you're doing long hours. So it affected everything from my sleep pattern to my diet to, you know, motivation for exercise. So then, you know, your physical health starts to suffer. You put on what's known as um, colloquially as ambo ass. So once you've been in the job for a few years, you know, you start stacking on the kilos because your metabolism is working against you by this point because you're working night shifts, day shifts, switching, swapping, you know, going through Macca's drive through at 3am because that's all you can find at that time. In terms of my, my mental health, you know, it caused family dramas, relationship dramas. It affected my social life. There'd be times where I wouldn't want to leave the house. Triggered a depressive episode, which required medication. Even things such as, you know, my my blood pressure started to spike. uh, And I've never had blood pressure issues. There's no blood pressure issues in the family. It was simply just the stress and the the toll that the job was taking on my body in a physical sense. So what do you make of what your colleagues are doing now and threatening now in terms of not renewing registration? It's obviously got the New South Wales government really concerned about what that's going to mean next year and if there are paramedics who are able to perform all the procedures that they're supposed to be doing. What do you make of that kind of action? Yeah, look, I fully support it. Um, This is something that we've been asking for for years, ever since the, um, the requirement for paramedics to become registered with APRA, which is a National Health Regulation Agency agency, just like doctors are. Um, ever since that became a, a requirement of the job, we've been asking for the professional pay to match that like they have in states like Queensland, where you get a bump in pay because you're taking on personal liability for the well-being of your patients. So basically, if something goes wrong with your patient, um, you're personally liable and that family could take legal action against you. So we were, we've been fighting for a pay increase to reflect the increased risk of registration and self-liability, the, the increased scope of practice, which has increased exponentially over the last few years. I mean, we're doing things now that back in even five, 10 years ago, only intensive care paramedics or doctors were doing. Um, and you're putting your general duties paramedic in those situations where they're using really highly advanced skills. We're very highly trained clinicians, but we don't have the pay and conditions to match that You know, after COVID and the sort of mass exodus that resulted from that with people either leaving the profession, shifting into corporate side, leaving the state for, for better better paid positions elsewhere, or like myself, leaving the country and the, the job entirely because they weren't able to provide. In my situation, I was asking for three months leave without pay just to clean my head because um, I told them I was suffering burnout and I wanted to you know 
stay in my field, but progress my career, perhaps going overseas and doing a volunteer stint in a paramedic role, I'd bring back some skills. But I was told no, because the numbers were too low. Well, we're being treated as a number and we're not being treated for the professionals that we are and our positions aren't respected. This is Hack. I'm Dave Marchese speaking with former New South Wales paramedic Patrick about his experiences. On the text line, someone says, I'm a paramedic in rural New South Wales. The majority of my colleagues are considering leaving the service for other roles. Patrick, I want to ask, does that make sense to you? Like, have a lot of your mates also decided to call it quits? Yeah, I mean, it was funny. Just before I left, you were, I was attending a farewell every couple of weeks because I had friends who were moving uh, either sort of interstate. So I had friends moving to Queensland, South Australia, Western Australia. Uh, I had some who were moving just out of Sydney um, because they could get on-call rates out of Sydney, whereas you're on-call 24 hours. So that's a bump in pay, but obviously a decrease in lifestyle, but that's what they were choosing to do. Um, I've had friends leaving for the London Ambulance Service, uh, at least two or three there. Everyone who I used to work with, I turned I turned up to work one day and went to my station. It's almost like I didn't recognise anyone anymore because everyone's formulated their own exit plan. What do you say to young people who are just getting into this profession and healthcare more broadly right now? Because we just heard a little while ago from a young person who's about to join and is excited, but also obviously really nervous. What would you say to a young person about to start? Yeah, I I do feel for young people starting right now, especially when they're kind of walking into a, a bit of a storm. But I'd say to them to understand that the job that they're walking into is a massive privilege. I think the fight that's going on now in terms of, you know, increased uh, pay and and improved conditions, there's always been a battle for that. And there's always been a sort of an acknowledgement by paramedics that we're not really respected the way we should be by the government. So I say, hold your heads up high because you're still entering an amazing profession. It's given me the best years of my life. Uh, I've met the best people I've ever met. Not to let it get you down, um, to, to really enjoy the time, but also contribute to the fight too. So if you do a good job, you want to show you do a good job so that you're earning the increased uh, wages and conditions that I'm sure we'll end up getting. Well, we appreciate you coming in and speaking to us, Patrick. Thank you very much for your time and for that update. Also a reminder to people who might be distressed listening to this, Lifeline is always there on 13 11 14. I said a bit earlier we hadn't had a response from New South Wales Health. We've actually just got one. We've been sent through a statement. New South Wales Health says they continue to engage in discussions with the Health Services Union and remain committed to reaching a resolution in the best interest interests of both paramedics and the people of New South Wales. Also say it's incorrect to say that there's a high or increasing number of paramedics leaving New South Wales. Paramedic attrition has decreased in 2023 from 5% to 4.5% compared to 2022. So that was the response from New South Wales Health. Hack. Brittany Higgins is facing a third day of cross-examination at a defamation trial on Triple J. Yeah, still a lot of messages coming through on the health workers story. We'll keep getting to those. But first, let's quickly check back in with the Bruce Lamon court case. Because you'll remember, Bruce Lamon's suing Network 10 and journalist Lisa Wilkinson over coverage of Brittany Higgins' rape allegation. His criminal trial was aborted because of juror misconduct. There are no findings against him. He's always maintained his innocence. ABC reporter Patrick Bell's been across it and he's with us now with an update. G'day, Pat. Thanks for coming on. Hi there, Dave. We spoke to you last week when Brittany Higgins was starting to give evidence. What's happened in the days since then? So there's been a couple of days of cross-examination for Brittany Higgins since I last spoke to you and they've canvassed 
quite a few topics. Uh, last Friday, which was the day after we last had a chat, Brittany Higgins was asked about the dress that she was wearing on the night in question, the night she alleges Bruce Lehrman raped her at Parliament House. And so she was asked by Mr Lehrman's lawyer, Stephen Wybrow, why she wore the dress again. And she wore it at a birthday function for Senator Linda Reynolds, who she was uh, working for over the period of the 2019 federal election. And Brittany Higgins told the court she tried to reclaim the dress and said it was one of her favourites, her her absolute favourite dress, and she wanted to try and dissociate it or disconnect it from her alleged rape, but she later told the court she couldn't do that and uh, so that's why she never wore it again. That kind of built up to another suggestion from Mr Lehrman's lawyers that the alleged rape never happened and Ms Higgins again rejected that. She was also asked about why she decided to go public and it was put to Brittany Higgins that she wanted to try and affect the outcome of the next federal election, which was, of course, the the one held last year. And Brittany Higgins rejected that and said she was still a Liberal through and through at the time that she went public with this. And, and she didn't even think that her story would actually gain so much traction. But she said she did want to change the culture in Parliament House and she did want to time it so that it would come out while MPs and senators were in Canberra Uh, so it would be asked about in question time. And so has the cross-examination of Brittany Higgins finished now? Yes, it finished today. It finished this afternoon. Uh, Some of the uh, topics that were canvassed today include uh, why uh, she had some messages that were missing on her phone that uh, there is a record of having been sent. Uh, She told the court that uh, many of those messages were lost accidentally when she changed devices. She said, in fact, many of those messages would have been helpful and and corroborated her accounts. She was also asked about her level of intoxication on the night that she and Bruce Lehrman went to Parliament House. It was put to her that uh, on the security vision, uh, she's shown walking through the metal detector twice in high heels in a straight line and that that doesn't uh, gel with her uh, account that she was 10 out of 10 drunk. She rejected that claim as well and said that uh, she's later shown on the vision sort of skipping through the corridor barefoot and that would indicate someone who was pretty drunk. And then towards the end of today, we got to uh, an issue around why it was in effect that she was willing to give evidence to this defamation case to begin with because you, you might remember, Dave, the criminal trial last year ended without a verdict and then the the prosecutor said he couldn't go on with uh, trying to try the case again because there were some concerns for Brittany Higgins' health. But today she told the court that decision to stop that the criminal case wasn't hers to make and and she was actually willing to go ahead with it but on the doctor's advice uh, the, the prosecutor decided not to. But uh, in her words, she said she didn't want her rapist to become a millionaire and that's why she's given evidence to this case. Of course, there is no verdict. There are no findings against Bruce Lehrman and he very much maintains his innocence and denies any wrongdoing. Well, thanks for keeping us across it. We'll try and check in again. ABC reporter Patrick Bell, appreciate you coming on Hack. Cheers, thank you. 
Hack. There's been another fire attack in an escalating turf war for control of Melbourne's illegal tobacco trade. On Triple J. Yeah, have you heard about these warnings of a new gangland war in Melbourne? Police have been out talking about it over the past few months. You might have seen in the news, there's been about 30 tobacco shops that have been firebombed. And police actually just released footage of one of those attacks over the past day. One person's been shot dead in the middle of the day in a car park. What's going on? Like, what is behind all of this? Joe Lauder's got more. They often have sort of neon signs in the windows. They sell American candy and it'll often have American tobacconist or tobacco and vapes in the window. And those are the kind of stores that police believe and authorities believe are selling illegal tobacco or chop chop. If you haven't heard of chop chop before, I'm going to say you're probably not from Melbourne. You know, we're so ahead with trends and stuff like that. Seriously, though, it's big business. It's the nickname for illegal tobacco and illegal cigarettes. They come in old school branded packets, are untaxed and have been smuggled in from overseas and sold under the counter much cheaper than legit ciggies. Illegal tobacco is sold in a number of stores across Australia, but it's particularly popular in Victoria. Um, It's estimated that there's over a thousand now in Victoria. This is Elias Kluwer. He's an ABC reporter and he's been investigating the gangland war that's been lighting up Melbourne. Why Victoria in particular? Well, Victoria has very lax regulations when it comes to selling tobacco. In fact, you don't need a specialised licence to sell tobacco. Chop Chop is making criminal gangs lots of money. Most people would associate organised crime with drugs and arms dealing, but police believe it's actually more lucrative for them to sell tobacco because the margins on it are so extraordinary. That's right. These gangs are making more money off illegal tobacco than they do off drugs because it's so cheap to make and import. So let's just say a 20-cent packet of tobacco is imported for, say, another dollar. They're then sold without the kind of Australian taxes on tobacco, which are enormous here. They're then sold in those tobacco stores that we were talking about for maybe $20. If you take away perhaps the margin that the retailer is making on them, organised crime are making $13, $14 a packet. And Border Force can't keep up. They're really struggling because um, so much of this illegal tobacco is imported. We're talking, you know, at least two or three 20-foot containers a day. Now, when the, you know, the ports are essentially full at the moment, they can only really check 1% of what comes into the country. And so they think they're just finding a fraction of the illegal tobacco that's coming in. All this lucrative black market business has led to a hectic gangland turf war in Melbourne. The second shop in Melbourne's north has been torched in as many days as the underworld tobacco turf war escalates. All up around 30 tobacconists have been firebombed. Things escalated again in October when someone connected to these gangs was shot dead in a car park in suburban Melbourne in the middle of the day. A new police task force has been set up to fight back against Melbourne's escalating underworld violence as new details emerge on the man executed in a Craigieburn car park. This is a particularly serious and concerning incident, which would have been incredibly frightening for the people who were in that car park at that time. Everyone right to go? Okay, Uh, good morning and thank you for your attendance here today. Uh, My name's Graham Banks, I'm the Detective Inspector in charge of the Lunar Task Force. It's giving underbelly, right? Now, Victoria Police have released CCTV footage from a restaurant in Docklands that got firebombed last month, 
twice. Two males dressed in dark clothing attended the restaurant with a jerry can full of fuel, smashed a window, poured accelerant into the restaurant and set it on fire. Regrettably, two days later, uh, two males uh, attended the premises at approximately two o'clock in the morning, uh, this time with two cans of fuel. Detective Inspector Banks says it goes back to this turf war. This particular attack uh, goes to show that it's not just about control of, of a market, but also there's a significant amount of animosity between the two groups. So law enforcement at all levels are working to stop this. But as ABC reporter Elias Kluwer points out, there's a market for this stuff. It is difficult, Joe, because cigarettes in Australia are so expensive and that's essentially what's created this black market. It's 50 to $60 to buy your favourite cigarette packet. You know, when times are tough as they are now, you're going to look for something cheaper. You're listening to Hack on Triple J. Joe Lauder with that update and yeah, really interesting story there. We're going to keep you across the major developments uh, on radio and socials as well. I'm sure it's not going away anytime soon. Still getting a heap of messages through as well about the healthcare worker burnout. One here, I'm an experienced paramedic. I'm overtraining new staff every roster and then watching them leave for other services that pay them better and recognise their professional skills. Someone else, I'm a midwife in Victoria. The job is physically, emotionally and financially draining. The rate of burnout is horrendous. We have had over 80 midwives in the past two years resign. I'm right now looking into travelling into rural remote nursing just to make ends meet. And somebody else says, I'm a paramedic in New South Wales. Thanks, Patrick, for helping to raise this issue. That was from Casey. And someone else says, I'm a Victorian paramedic and just know that we're backing you. That love comes from a burnout paramedic as well. Hack on Triple Jack. Big thanks again to everyone who's been messaging in with their stories, their experiences, being on the front line of healthcare. I really appreciate it. We're going to stay on this issue throughout the podcast next year. So make sure you keep tuning in. That is all we've got time for for now. I'll catch you next time.